My best and warmest welcome to one and all this Sunday morning. I'm, I'm mindful that along with the regular congregation here at Stone Hill, we have today guests and visitors, internet surfers, friends and family members of the people here at our church. So whether adult or youth, kid or senior, whatever background or place or last name or face, whatever, I want to welcome all of you here. Thank you for joining us. And we have a great text that we're going to be considering. It's a text that in terms of our series that we're in right now, the book of Isaiah, uh, was set months ago, and it's just remarkable to me how God designed this text for this moment through ordinary human means. That's the way God works. It's a text that's superbly designed to strengthen faith and to provide real comfort during these coronavirus trying times. It's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, it's verses 1 through 5. So why don't you take a Bible, why don't you uh, uh, open up, get to, scroll to, whatever, get to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, uh, which I will now read. Isaiah the prophet speaking. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, speak to us now comfort. Speak to us tenderly. Proclaim to us the truths of this text so that our faith may be strengthened and that our hearts may be encouraged. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It sure is hard to believe what has happened in the space of one week. One week ago, the sanctuary here was filled with hundreds of people. And today, rightly, there are maybe seven or eight people here by invitation. They're here because uh, I asked them to be here so that I could have actual faces to look at while I bring God's word. They've all assured me that they're healthy, and I assure you that they are all appropriately socially distanced, really socially distanced. So much has changed. Our country's in a state of emergency. Supermarket shelves are empty. 
airlines are canceling flights. Amtrak is shrinking its Boston to Washington service. The coronavirus, it's changed everything. And in all our fears, in our worries, our unanswered questions, our uncertainties, we need comfort. Not just pat little answers, but rich, deep, fortifying comfort. And Isaiah chapter 40, the entire chapter, and certainly the verses that we're going to look at, verses 1 through 5, these things bring that kind of fortifying comfort. You see, Isaiah was called to bring comfort in a situation that is remarkably like ours. A situation in which it was hard to believe beforehand what was going to happen. Let me show you that as we work through the text. I'm going to take the text in in four segments and pull out from each segment a comforting promise because God is making promises here. Four comforting promises that God is making through the prophet Isaiah. And the first promise is in verses 1 and the first half of verse 2. And I'll put it this way. God speaking. Though your situation may be unexpected and extreme, you are still my people. Though your situation may be unexpected and extreme, you are still my people. Look at the text. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly. Speak to the heart, is the way that reads, actually, literally. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and cry to her. You know, in the Bible that I'm holding here, the standard Protestant Bible, there are 66 books. 39 of those books are the Old Testament. 27 of those books are the New Testament. And the gap between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New, Matthew, is huge. It's a gap in terms of a book, it's just like one page. But in terms of history, it's a gap of 400 years. It's a gap between promises made about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and in the New, promises being fulfilled about the Messiah. It's a gap between waiting and wondering and seeing and believing. The book of Isaiah is exactly the same. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah's book belong to his first calling. He was called, he records his call, his first call, in Isaiah chapter 6. And those of you who are here, those of you who have listened uh, to recent sermons, we we considered that text, Isaiah chapter 6, a few weeks ago, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, mighty in his temple. And, uh, And Isaiah is given a call from the Lord lifted up in that text. 
And his call was to speak to the rulers and the people of his time. Dates would be 740s, 730s, 720s, 710s. And to bring to them a message of judgment. I mean, that's what God told Isaiah at the first calling. That you're going to speak to these people, God said. You will speak to them and they will not understand. They will not see. They will not want to receive. They will harden their hearts and they will disobey. And that's what's happened throughout the 39 chapters of Isaiah to this point. In fact, look at the end of chapter 39 right here in the same page. We have here Isaiah talking to a good king, one of the great kings of Judah, Hezekiah. He's a faith-filled king. He's a courageous king. He's seen God work miracles. And Isaiah's telling him, Uh, In verse 5, Isaiah then said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming, Hezekiah, when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This This is judgment. Isaiah is pronouncing judgment. And Hezekiah, even though he's been such a godly king, here at this moment, he evidences the same typical response in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, which is kind of an abrupt, an off-putting lack of faith. He says, well, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, Isaiah. For he thought, well, there'll be peace and security in my days. In other words, okay, that's fine because it's not going to happen in my lifetime and I don't want to have to deal with it. So you've got this great king responding in such a, such a subpar way. Even the best are hardening their hearts in these opening 39 chapters. Then we come to chapter 40. It's like moving from the Old Testament, 39 books, to the New Testament, the remaining 27. Everything changes. The tone, the focus, the audience. Isaiah is no longer speaking to the people of his time from chapter 40 on. By God's miraculous spirit, Isaiah, in, we'll put it, 700 B.C., he speaks no longer to the Jews of his time. He speaks to the Jews in the future, in, say, 580 B.C., when they are now in exile. He's just predicted the exile there at the end of chapter 39. And he's now speaking to them. A hundred years later, a hundred plus years later, the people in exile, no longer in Jerusalem, slaves in Babylon. And what God is doing here in these opening verses of chapter 40 is he's calling Isaiah to a new ministry, a fresh ministry, no longer a ministry of judgment. That was chapters 1 through 39. 
Now it's a ministry of, of hope, of encouragement, of comfort. I want you now, Isaiah, to speak to my future people, a people not yet born, and I want you to speak comfort and hope. And those people in the future would need that because so much had changed. In their lifetimes, Jerusalem had been obliterated. Jerusalem, obliterated. The temple, destroyed the temple. Their houses, crushed. Their way of life, gone. Fear, uncertainty, all kinds of questions. Has God left us? Where is God? Does does he care that we're trapped in all these uncertainties? Is he really able to forgive us for what we've done? Does he still love us? And Isaiah says, excuse me, God says to Isaiah, Isaiah, speak comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. These are my people, Isaiah. My Jerusalem. And I want you to comfort them. Isn't your heart crowded now, right now with uncertainties? Worries about what might happen? Concerns about your loved ones? Apprehensions about the virus itself? Where is God? Does he care? And what is happening here in these opening verses is that God is speaking a a comforting promise to us, saying, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are mine. And even though there is a pandemic around us with so many unknowns, events that can be so terrifying, you are still my child. And my church is still my Jerusalem. This is comfort. The spiritual is simple but true. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. We are his. Second comforting promise. Chapter, excuse me, verse 2, the second half. I'll put it this way. Though you still think and live and feel and choose as a sinner, God says, yet I richly forgive you. Hear the text. Cry to Jerusalem, cry to my people, her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now I tell you this, uh, the coronavirus scare has sure exposed a lot of human sin. Like you, I've read about empty shelves at Costco 
locally here, empty shelves at Wegmans and ShopRite and McCaffrey's right here in town. I was in McCaffrey's on Tuesday. And there were employees, they were on break, and they were in the chicken aisle, and they were taking pictures of empty chicken cases in the aisle, and they were saying, this is crazy, this is unbelievable. And I said, well, and I agreed with them. I said, yeah, it sure is. And I said in my heart, you know, oh, these people are so crazy. Here they are hoarding chicken parts, hoarding chicken liver, okay? And if they're hoarding chicken liver, they really are crazy. And then, you know, five minutes later, I'm in another aisle, and I turn around, and I buy three jars of peanut butter. And three jars of peanut butter will last me the next five years So I wound up doing the very same thing that I was criticizing before. I was hoarding. We're all sinners. Self-centered. Self-protective. Coronavirus makes that all clear. The Jews in Babylon, in exile, were sinners too. They were in the midst of both their sin and the consequences of their sin. That's why they were in Babylon. And God says to them, he says to them, in their exile, in the middle of their consequences of sin, your warfare with me is ended. Your iniquity is pardoned. Double punishment has been poured out. You are free. Now, I have no idea how a member of God's people back in 580 BC Babylon would have made sense of those statements. Warfare ended? Wow. Iniquity pardoned? And literally, that means punishment, your punishment, lifted up. And carried away. How? Double portion of penalty from God's hand? How? I know how those things are fulfilled today. This is about Jesus. This is about Messiah. In his body on the cross, offered as sacrifice, the warfare between us sinners, us humans, and God ended. In his body on the cross, punishment for our sins lifted up, carried away, placed on him. A double portion, the the extreme experience of God's hand of judgment placed upon him. This is a comforting promise for everyone who knows Christ as Savior. God richly forgives you. And especially in times of difficulty and trial, we need to have that promise brought home. You are richly forgiven in Christ. Third comforting promise from God. Verses 3 and 4 and the first part of verse 5. 
Though you feel like evil is winning, my good purposes will definitely come to pass. So there they are, these people, in the future from Isaiah's point in time. There they are, they're in Babylon, slaves, hopeless, seemingly helpless. And verses 3 and 4 and 5a, they paint a picture, a beautiful picture for them. Back then, when it was announced that the king was coming to your town, you would get things ready for the arrival of the king. And that included, among other things, getting the roads ready so that the king could be brought in on a smooth road. So you get out the shovels and whatever forms of rakes they had, and you get rocks and piles of soil, and you'd fill in all the potholes, so to speak, and you'd smooth down all the bumps. I like the way one translation captures verse 3. Clear the way for the king. Construct a road in the desert for our God. Get things ready. He's coming. And when he comes, verse 4 occurs. Every valley shall be lifted up. In other words, every weak and weary person shall be rescued. And every mountain and hill shall become level. Every exercise of human pride and defiance undone, changed, overcome, transformed. The rough places shall become plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Messiah will be put on open display. Now you notice in those statements of verse 4 and 5 that the repeated word is the word shall. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill understood shall be made low. Shall become level shall be revealed. Shall in English, in the third person, has emphasis. It has focus. It's more emphatic than just saying will. I mean, it could have been translated every valley will be lifted up, and that would be the normal way to say it, but it reads every valley shall be lifted up. And the use of the shall is reflecting the the rhetorical force of Isaiah's poetry here. These things shall definitely happen. This is not some visionary dream. And I think those exiles in Babylon needed that rhetorical force. They did. A situation like the Babylonian exile does not mean that God has given up, that God's been defeated, and that evil will somehow win in the end. No. Every valley shall be lifted up. And the same with the coronavirus. I mean, the losses can feel so real. I know that some of you have already had to experience loss because of this pandemic. Let me give you an everyday example. At my wife Karen's school, they have been preparing for months to put on their annual spring musical. 
The Sound of Music this year. And it was supposed to have begun this past Wednesday evening. Just last Sunday, I was right here in the sanctuary speaking to a a young man, one of our high school students here at the church. Right there in that pew. He was supposed to have played Rolf in the movie, in the play, I should say. That Rolf is the teenage traitor, you know. And he and dozens of other students have been memorizing lines and committing their afternoons and rehearsing and building set and all this. And then in a period of 24 hours, all of it closed down. All that work, all that time, all that memorization, over. Done. Lost. It's hard to lose a piece of high school like that. That's an everyday example of the kinds of losses that people are facing all the time. Some of the losses are much more extreme than that. Some of the losses involve life and death and loss of loved ones. It's hard to lose these things. And therefore, it's, it's easy to start to think that somehow, somehow this is beyond God's control, that it's out of his reach. What Isaiah is saying here He's promising on behalf of God, my good purposes have not been forgotten. They've not been lost. Evil will not prevail. No, my good purposes will prevail in the end. As Paul would put it in the New Testament, the book of Romans, for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's the third promise here. Fourth promise, comforting promise from God, right there at the bottom of verse 5. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I'll put it this way. Though you are running low in faith, these promises of mine, they are my bond. They are my personal commitment. They are my oath. There's no better place for this passage to end than with that concluding statement of verse 5. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's authority there. There's certainty there. There's taking the words for us that appear on a page. There's taking those words and making them a matter of God's personal utterance, his personal bond Words from his mouth. These are promises from me personally, the God who does not fail. To quote Jesus in the New Testament, though heaven and earth shall pass away, yet my words shall never pass away. It's Matthew 24, verse 35. That's the fourth comforting promise. My promises are my personal bond to you, my commitment. And you add to that then 
the previous three. You are still my people. I richly forgive. And my good purposes will definitely come to pass. And you have here exactly what God says right at the top of this text. Comfort. 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 Now I want to take those four promises. And I want to fasten them to a fifth promise. In the next chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. And I'm going to allow our worship team to do exactly that.